I remember hearing Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech as a little kid. I remember it well, it was the early days of the CD-ROM software for computers. This dates me a bit. Uh, our school had received a donation of what was then a very expensive early digital encyclopedia. And in the article on the CD-ROM about Dr. King, it was really cool. You could click and hear a little bit of the I Have a Dream speech. Not the whole speech, not the controversial bits about America writing a bad check. It was a short snippet, just the most famous lines, the refrain about I have a dream, I have a dream. And if all you knew of Brother Martin Luther King was the I have a dream speech, if all you heard was that beautiful bit toward the end, the hopeful refrain, you might think of him as a great orator a preacher who was able to inspire the country to be better about civil rights. And for a long time, as a white kid who grew up in the white suburbs of Denver, that's about how I thought of him. He even name-checks Colorado in the speech in that part. How great is that? I'm grateful to our parishioner Bob Lovis for compiling our second reading today, and I'm grateful that Holy Communion is the kind of church that will have patience on a day like today in replacing the second reading of Scripture. The quotes all came from different MLK sermons. You get a sense in those quotes about the different sort of rhetoric that Martin Luther King could have. You get a fuller sense of his ministry. I worry. I worry about the parts of, Martin, of Dr. King that we celebrate and about what we do to his work. We've sainted Dr. King. That's literally true in this church, in the Episcopal Church. Our denomination gave Dr. King a feast day. It's in April, which makes no sense to me. Uh, it, it, it marks the day of his death. Our, our nation marks Dr. King this weekend, and so we've chosen to move the readings for Dr. King to this Sunday. But there's something dangerous about sainthood. There's something dangerous about naming someone a saint, particularly someone who's in the living memory of a people. The folks from our congregation that went on the El Salvador trip over this last summer, they can tell you a little bit about the controversial sainthood of Oscar Romero, the archbishop who was martyred just 40 years ago. They can tell you about the folks that we heard talking about this controversy around San Romero. What I found fascinating was a number of these voices were from the same communities of the same kind of folks who for years were campaigning for the sainthood of Oscar Romero, but now there's some hesitancy. There's a worry. There's a worry that sainthood is being used to sanitize. Folks aren't happy that San Romero has been so heavily celebrated across the country, by the whole country, by the government, because they worry that his message is getting lost in all the celebration. Salvadorans are concerned that the human rights violations that are still going on are not being talked about in the same breath as San Romero. They're worried that the poor are still disenfranchised. They don't want the message of Oscar Romero to be lost. Sound familiar? There are literally Dr. King statues in Episcopal churches, and not just the black churches. A historically white Episcopal church in St. Louis features a Dr. King stained glass window. 
Brother Martin has become the patron saint of civil rights. But there are folks who are worried that we're forgetting. These days in the Episcopal Church, we consider Martin Luther King to be a martyr and a saint. But that has not always been the case. It hasn't. Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail, that famous letter from a Birmingham jail, it was written in response to another letter. It was called A Call for Unity that was penned and signed by the bishops of Alabama. The Episcopal bishops of Alabama signed this letter. George Murray and Bishop Carpenter, they signed this letter Along with Methodist, Catholic, Jewish, and Baptist colleagues, in their letter, they asked Dr. King to get out of Alabama. They called his demonstrations unwise and untimely. That's what occasioned the letter from a Birmingham jail. It was a response. We all like to imagine that if he were alive today, we would be marching in the streets with Dr. King. There were Episcopalians who marched with Dr. King. There were Episcopalians, particularly black Episcopalians, who did leading work on civil rights. But it does a disservice to the era, to the work of the civil rights movement, if we forget the opposition that looked like many of us, white moderates. Can't tell you how many Episcopalians are proud to be considered moderates. In Dr. King's time, the folks that looked like us, they were considered an obstacle by Dr. King. If we forget that some of our grandparents doubted Martin's effectiveness as a leader, if we forget the hardship, if we forget that he spent nights in tears, worried about his own safety, worried about his family, if we forget the divisions, the voices of so-called moderation that would ask him to settle down and set down the work, to wait. If we forget, we risk missing the whole of his work. We do him a disservice. And if we make just Dr. King a saint, we miss out on all the other folks whom the civil rights achievements depended upon. We should also remember saints like Polly Murray, the first African-American woman ordained an Episcopal priest, whose thesis at Howard Law School, when she was becoming an attorney, her thesis became the foundation for Brown versus Board of Education, the Supreme Court case that desegregated schools across our country. We should remember Polly Murray. We should remember saints like Bayard Rustin, the gay black man without whom the March on Washington and thus Dr. King's speech about a dream, without Bayard Rustin, they wouldn't have happened. It does a disservice to Dr. King only to listen to the pretty parts of his speeches, only to talk about the dream, to skip over the folks that he worked with and to skip over the grittier work of his life. It makes him seem like a saint, aloof, unreachable, an example that today's leaders could never aspire to reach. If we try and clean up the context, we also run the risk. We run the risk of forgetting that the work is ongoing. Making Dr. King a saint might excuse us from continuing his work for civil rights. Which brings us to the book of Numbers. This text from Numbers was the text that Dr. King preached about on the last night of his life. He'd traveled to Memphis 
to take part in strikes by city sanitation workers. And for Dr. King, the work for civil rights, the work for racial justice, it was connected to the work for justice for economics, for poor folk, for folks that worked to clean up the city's garbage. They were inextricably linked. And Dr. King preached the last night of his life at Mason Temple in Memphis. The sermon finished eerily with these words. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And Brother Martin put himself in Moses' shoes. Like Moses, he knew that the work would have to outlive him. He knew that the work was bigger than him, the cause bigger than him, the struggle bigger than him. That's a sign of godly leadership when you know it's not all about you. Moses says to Joshua, the one who will take up his mantle, to borrow a biblical metaphor from generations later, Moses says to Joshua, with all God's people looking on, Be strong and fearless. The Lord is the one who is marching before you. God will be with you. God won't let you down. Of course we should celebrate Dr. King. Of course he should be a saint. Of course school children should hear about his dream. But we can't stop there. Don't let sainthood distract you from his humanity. Don't forget he was flawed and feeble just like you. Don't let the work be just about him. Dr. King would point you out beyond his own words, beyond his own struggles. The next generation has to take up the mantle. If we're ever to reach that promised land, if we're ever to become the beloved community, if we are to beat back the organized racism that has arisen again in this land, if we are to beat back the structural racism that continues to leave so many folks behind, if we are to continue the legacy, we have to trust that Dr. King's work was God's work and that God is still with us. God is still out there ahead of us marching. Don't let sainted stained glass Martin Luther King be sanitized. Don't stop at the words, I have a dream. Meditate on some of those words we spoke together that were harder to say than I have a dream. Remember, Martin laid down his life so that a cause could go on. Make the links between history and present reality. All over the country tomorrow, plays will be staged, documentaries will be screened. We will meditate on the life and legacy of Dr. King. What is Dr. King's legacy? What is it? Is it the beautiful words about a dream? Is his legacy desegregation? Is it the election of the first black president? Surely those are part of the legacy of the civil rights era. But I wonder, is the final chapter of Dr. King's legacy yet to be written? Will we take up the banner? Will we link arms in the streets? Will we march trusting that God is already out there ahead of us? Will we, like Martin, dare to dream? Amen.